0: starting a new series today called Behind Enemy Lines and that clip was actually from that movie from about 15 years ago. And so how many how many do you like movies like that? Is that yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, all that stuff. You'll like <laughs> you'll like this series. This is going to be fun for you. But before we dive in, let me just reiterate what Pastor Russ was talking about with the uh next level dinner. If you didn't Write it down, write it down now. October the 23rd, put it in your phone, write it down. This is going to be one of the most important nights of our calendar. October 23rd, 6.30 p.m. right here in this room. Don't miss it. So yes, behind enemy lines, the next four weeks we're going to be talking about this. Now what do you do when somebody comes to you and says they have good news and bad news? What do most of us want first? The bad news. Well, unfortunately today in this first talk it's mostly bad news. But I give you my word. I'm not going to leave us there. And I'm not going to even leave us there today. Okay, So just hang with me. This is going to be a little bit different, a little deeper. uh, A little more like teaching than preaching. Although I get a little in there so don't worry. Uh, But just hang in there because at first it's going to going to be kind of bad. So uh, the whole series, obviously, has a military theme. And today's first talk is called Gathering Intel. Gathering Intel. Now, if a sovereign nation decides that war is a possibility, they must first, with all responsibility, they must first do proper gathering of intelligence. I mean, that's the only really responsible thing to do before you put men and women in harm's way is to gather intelligence. So today the goal is to do that. I want to provide us with sufficient intelligence. And the intel is going to come from this book. The last thing that I want to do is to talk about this subject with opinion. If you ever hear a teacher or a preacher get up and start talking about spiritual warfare... Without this book, run. You can get so far out in left field that it's scary. And it's not just scary. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. So we're going to be using this book today a lot. But what I want to do is provide biblical evidence that will help us begin to lean toward the realization that there is more to this life than what we see with our physical eyes. There's more to our existence than what we touch, feel, or taste. Look at the screen. There is a real spiritual realm. By the way, there's a lot of notes taking today, so get ready. Get your phone ready, whatever you've got to do because I want you to, to, to do some work at home on this because it's, it's deep. It's, there's a lot of material, so just get ready. There is a real spiritual realm with real spiritual beings at work both good and evil. A few years ago when I was in kindergarten and actually before kindergarten I was in uh, preschool that age. Um, it was funny because my, my mom and dad were in the early service, and this was all about my mother, but, so it was kind of weird. But anyway, uh, I was, to put it lightly, I was a mama's boy. And that's, that is putting it lightly. Kathy, if she had been in this service, she would have been like, amen, still are. Anyway, I was a mama's boy. and I was actually a preschool dropout. I was impossible because I wanted to be with mama. But then kindergarten came and it's the law. you got to go to school. And so they began months in advance. And the part that my mother told me I left out of this story was the fact that it wasn't just them talking to me about the first day of school. It was the fact that there was much prayer and fasting involved. And I'm not lying. They were worried about it. Very worried. And so they, would, they sat me down the week before, like a Friday before, said, Alan, Monday's the day. Monday you have to go to school, and mom won't be there. And they tell me, I don't remember this, but they tell me that I broke down, and that I started to just get real upset and start to cry, and then all of a sudden <laughs> there was this resolve that came over me, and I squared my shoulders, and I got a little smile, a little Smirk on my face that basically was like, yeah, we'll see about that. The last time I got out of it. So Monday morning came. I went to Mount Perrin School, and they sent, this was right when they first began, and they, they sent out little, like 16 passenger vans, 15 passenger vans to different places. Ours was Terra Mill Park. Who knows what I'm talking about? We met at Terror Mill Park. I live right behind the park there in a subdivision. So we met there and it was time and we pulled up in our giant station wagon. And <laughs> hallelujah. And as soon as my mom opened that door, I grabbed a hold of the steering wheel. I had a plan. I grabbed a hold of the steering wheel and I would not let go. My mom had me by the legs out the other side of the thing. And then she would reach in and try to, she would pry my finger. And once she got that hand, I would grab the other one. And it was back and forth, back and forth. She finally got my fingers off of the steering wheel and, and carried me, kicking and screaming to the van. Now, the, this van, the doors open like this, you know, and there was one open. And I did the whole cat over the water thing. Yes. And I lying. Totally screaming, pitching a fit, not going in. Now listen, this is real. Out of nowhere, this gray-haired man walks up, picks me up, sets me in the van, and I turn around and I said, Bye, Mom. Well, my mom's picking herself off the ground. The van pulls away. She gets up to turn to see who this is or thank him. He's gone. We believe. He was an angel. The spiritual realm is real. But it's filled with beings that are both good and evil. And before we go into this, I want to pray. My biggest reservation with a series like this is leading you in the wrong direction, putting you in harm's way. Will you pray with me? Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over my people. I plead the blood of Jesus over my families that no weapon formed against them would prosper and that this series would bring revelation and power and knowledge and not confusion and not danger in any way, shape, or fear. In any way, shape, or form. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. You receive that? You receive that? This is a great crowd today. Praise God you're back from break. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Our theme scripture for this series, and this is the why we're doing this series, why we have to do it. 1 John 5.19. The Apostle John says, We know that we are children of God. But the whole world around us is under the control of the evil one. John is saying, hey, we know who we are. We're believers. We're followers of Christ. We're Christians. We are in Christ. But the whole world around us is controlled by the evil one. Now, it is obvious that our world is in bad shape today. And getting worse. But here's, here's what I want you to get. It's been that way for a long time. Events like what happened last week in Charlotte and what seemed like are happening like on a weekly basis as just the tip of the iceberg. Poverty, human trafficking, racism, terrorism, war, injustice, They all are realities in our world. But listen, they are all just the tip of the iceberg. They are not themselves the problem. Will you put that picture up, please? (laughs) With an iceberg, if you see it from the water, all you see is that little bitty top part. That's what that saying means. All you see is just a little bit with the majority of the iceberg is down below. In this series, we are going to look deeper. We are going to look under the water. We are going to look past the physical realm and into the spiritual. Why, pastor? Why would you do that? Because that is where the battle is taking place. Paul is very clear in Ephesians 6.12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of what? This dark world. And against the spiritual. Everybody say spiritual. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Folks, our battle is not with ISIS. Our battle is not with the Taliban. Our battle is not with other nations. Our battle is not even against Washington or crooked politicians. Come on, somebody. Our battle is not against each other. Our battle is not against our spouse or our loved ones or our co workers. Come on. Our battle is not physical, it is spiritual. Our battle is not a physical battle, it is spiritual. But see, Satan wants nothing more than to distract us with the physical to keep us away from the spiritual where we can really take some ground. That's what his... And we're going to talk all about him. And by the way, I don't like talking about him. But until, listen, until we are equipped to do spiritual warfare, and engage in the fight. It's a two-pronged thing. We have to be willing to be equipped and then we have to make a decision to engage. And until we do, we will remain in the same condition as you've always been and even as this dying world, you will remain defeated and I will remain defeated. Does that make sense? I'm going to ask that a lot today because I... I want to make sure that we're clear. Now let me just, again, go a step further and be real, plain, and simple. I like clarity. Look on the screen. There is a war raging around us. We are living, not traveling to, not visiting. We are living behind enemy lines. And I'm going to prove it to you today. Biblically, not my opinion, biblically, and we're going to use a lot of scripture. I hope you don't get bored with the word of God. You're in the wrong house, the wrong sermon today. Today, I want us to begin the process of changing the way we think about our Christian existence. For example, most of us think about prayer like this picture. Isn't that wonderful? But in reality, it's more like this. We have to change the way we think. It's much more nice to think about it like the other way. Oh, I'm going to pray. Instead of this, my goal today is getting us thinking, leaning towards that reality. A.W. Tozer puts it like this. He says, people think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. And I'm just going to insert not just people, Christians. Because of course the world isn't aware of this, but we should be. But most of our attitudes, and it is mostly in the West why? Why is it just over over here and in Europe mostly? Because people that grow up in the physical realm dodging bullets and running for their life because people are chasing them and they're, they're having to run for their life, they get this real easy because their physical realm is about like the spiritual. But with us who are so blessed and, so, and we live in relative peace, peaceful environments, we, this is hard for us. It's hard for us to get this. But we think mostly of the world as a playground. It is a battleground. We've got to change the way we think. Now, this type of teaching, preaching, whatever you want to call it, is not real popular. It's not fun for me. To be honest, I don't, this is not my favorite subject. I don't like talking about the devil. And really, I get nervous with anybody who does. If that's like their main thing, and they just love to talk about the occult, and they just love to talk about darkness and all this stuff. I kind of yeah. No. But if we want to be who God has called us to be, if we want to be the church of the living God, if we want to be the army that he's called us to be, if we want to be the hope of the world, then it's high time we understand the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. It's high time we get our spiritual head out of the sand. And it's high time we understand that we are at war and Satan is not playing games. You believe it? Don't, I don't want one person clapping. Come on. If you believe it, give him. <laughs> Satan wants nothing more than to steal your joy, kill your testimony, and destroy your family. So unless you're okay with that, is anybody okay with Satan having his way in your family? Is anybody okay with, with the enemy wreaking havoc in your life? Anybody? I didn't think so then it's time we quit fooling around, playing games in church. It's time we get disciplined and prepared to spiritually stand against the enemy on his turf. Now next week we're going to talk about the enemy and understanding him and and, and his, his tactics and being aware of those things. You don't want to miss any of these lessons. They're all linked together. If you do miss, make sure you get on, online and watch. The, week, the last week, we're going to talk about being in the trenches, using the armor of God and all those things. But today is all about gathering intel. So here's the first thing I want you to understand. Look at the screen. For the time being, planet Earth is under Satan's influence. For the time being, the, the planet Earth is under Satan's influence. This is his turf. This is his territory. Now, now, be, uh, look, I use the word influence, not ownership. Influence, not ownership. All right, I want to give you the scriptural evidence for that statement that I just made. Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live and when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler... Of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is what? Now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul calls Satan the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now Jesus himself in John 12, 31 says, The time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Now he's talking about a future judgment, meaning there is a timeline There is an end date to that statement. Praise God. Come on. But he, for the time being, he says, Satan is the ruler. That's Jesus himself saying that. Now, and Paul says again in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Now, this is the strongest language so far. Satan, who is the God, little g, who is the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So summary, Paul says in the first one, that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Jesus says that Satan is the ruler of this world. And Paul says again, he's the God, little g, of this world. Are you with me? Now, Revelation Chapter 12 is, a, is why we're calling this Behind Enemy Lines. This scripture here is why it's so militaristic. Now, this is symbolic language. Remember, it's Revelation. Verse 13, when the dragon, who's the dragon? Satan. When the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to earth. Now, that's talking about his judgment in heaven. When he tried to rally his, his third of the angels against God, that, that didn't work out. Never going to work out never going to work out. And he was thrown and cast out to earth. He pursued the woman. Now scholars disagree on this, but I think it's obvious he's talking about Mary. Pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Who's that? Jesus. But she was given two wings like those of a great eagle so she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. Now did she really have two wings? No, it's symbolic. God spoke to Joseph in a dream, warning him of Herod's plot to kill all the little boys, and they safely got away and escaped to Egypt. That's what that's talking about. Verse 17, and the dragon, who is Satan, was angry at the woman and, here it is, declared war against the rest of her children. And guess who those folks are? All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Who falls into that category this morning? Oh, we got to have an altar call right now. Who wants to get saved and fall into that category? You're like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do this. this is a clear declaration of war against all. Everybody say all. All Christians, not pa- just pastors, not just worship leaders, not just, you know, leaders of denominations, all Christians. So how, let well, I me mean, time out. Everybody look this up here. Are you all okay? Everybody all right? Oh, no. Yeah, okay. I'm going to move on anyway. Here we go. How and where did this conflict begin? we got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Listen. So God created human beings in his own image. I quoted this last week when we talked about you know, loving each other and how we see each other. We have to see each other because, because we have been created in the image of God. That's why it's so much more important to save the life of an unborn child than the life of a whale. Because we have been made in the image of God and humans are superior because of that. We have a soul. Now let me step out of the sermon just a minute. Today is the Sanctity of Life Sunday. We need to be thinking pro-life. We need to be thinking and praying about those unborn babies. My mother, she was in the last service, like I said, has dedicated the last 35 years of her life to the pro-life movement. She has been in Atlanta, been spit on as she counseled down there. She never was rude. She never laid in the door or anything like that. She counseled women. She saved a lot of babies. (laughs) Listen. We must think pro-life. We must think, why? Because every child was made in the image of God. Amen. And listen, while I'm there, because this is tender, this is a, this is a tough subject. I know under the sound of my voice, there, there are wonderful women who have had that happen in their life. There is forgiveness and love. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. All right, let's step back into the sermon. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Now listen to this next part. Fill the earth and what? Govern it. Reign or rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God was giving humanity, Adam and Eve, authority over the earth. And then even if you've not been in church very often, you know the story. Satan came as a serpent and deceived Adam and Eve. And they partook of the one tree that God said don't. The tree of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil. And sin entered the garden. And when that happened, and when sin enters anywhere, judgment is coming. And so actually during this thing where God is talking about the judgment for the woman, the man, and Satan. This is, this is the next verse. Genesis 3. This is God speaking to the, to, the, to the serpent. I'm declaring war between you, the serpent, Satan, and the woman. Between your offspring and hers. He'll wound your head. You'll wound his heel. Now to be clear, this is not just talking about women disliking snakes. Now, and wanting them dead. Now that may be true. Not just women, but I'm, I'm there with you. Don't like them at all. That's not what he's talking about. What this is, is this is an actual part of God's judgment. That there would always be strife between Satan and humanity. And this is also a messianic prophecy, the first one, about Jesus and the war that would ensue between the people of God and the forces of So here's the result, okay? Here's the result of this. Because of sin, we gave up the sole right to our God-given authority over the earth. Let me say it again. Because of, say it again. Because of, we gave up the sole right. It was ours. God had given it to us. We gave that up because of sin over the earth. Ever since sin entered the garden, the authority, listen, listen, the authority has been challenged, manipulated, and influenced by Satan. As soon as sin entered, the war had begun. So here's the big question of the ages. This is the question that derails so many people, especially those that don't have a real strong foundation in their faith. Why? Why would God allow this? Why does God allow this? How can we reconcile what we know of God that He is Perfect that He is powerful, that He is loving, full of justice, omnipresent, omniscient. How can we reconcile that with what we know is happening in this world? Anybody else struggle with that? Come on, let's be honest. Anybody else struggle with that? In our last few minutes together, I want to focus on trying to give us something to chew on, something to work with when it comes to this question, this difficult question. Psalm twenty-four. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Will you read that with me? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all that the people belong to him. That speaks of ownership. God owns it all. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. Follow me now. So why does God get to be the owner? Because he is the creator. You create it, you own it. So how can this same world that God created, come on, that God owns, still be controlled and influenced by Satan? I want to use two illustrations to help. Tr- this, is, this was tough. I have two illustrations I want to use, one from Scripture and one from my life to help us lean towards the answer to this hard question. Mark chapter 12. I told you there's a lot of Scripture. Y'all all all right? All right, good, 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 good. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories, parables. They're made up to make a point. A man planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased. Everybody say leased. The vineyard. He leased the vineyard. Let me say it again. He leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved on to another country. So a man leased his vineyard to farmers. So the man still technically owned the vineyard. It was all his. But it was being managed. It was being controlled by. It was being influenced by these farmers. So are you with me? Verse 2. At the time of the grape harvest, the owner sent one of the servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent an, uh, another servant, but they insulted him and beat him up over the head. Verse 5. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left. His son. Whom he loved dearly. The owner finally sent him thinking, surely they will respect my son. Verse 7. But the tenant farmers said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. That makes no sense whatsoever. No sense. Anyway. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. Now, Jesus is obviously using metaphorical language in this parable. Let's, but let's just be clear about the characters. All right? The owner represents who? God. The servants represent prophets that God sent to Israel over and over to try to woo them back and warn them to turn from idolatry and turn from their wicked ways. Uh, But they they, they took the prophets, they abused them, and even killed them. So finally, the, the owner's son represents Jesus. And who's telling the story? So he's actually foretelling his own death, which he did on a regular basis. Here's the point. Look at the screen. God is the owner. But because of sin, we are in a fight for the lease. Write it down. God is the owner. But because of Sin. Who's responsible for the sin? Is it God? No. Don't blame Satan either. Because of sin, we are now in a fight for the lease. Now let me give you a, an illustration. Several years back, I owned several uh, rental property. The worst decision of my life. I'm not making fun or making light of any of you that make your living that way. You are obviously a much better owner, <laughs> renter <laughs> than me. That, that wasn't what God had for me, and it was a distraction. But I, I had this house, cute house, and the, the tenant left, so I had to rent the house again. And so I put the ad in the paper. This was when we had paper, no internet. <laughs> Crazy now, you know. Put the, put the ad out there. Got several calls. Did my due diligence trying to follow up, you know, with this person. They came up with the, de- they had the deposit. Signed the lease. And I handed over the keys. My house is lease. Anybody tracking? It was a problem from the beginning. He was late, I think, the first month. And it never got any better. And when he did pay, he was not all the rent. So I I put up with that a long time, longer than I should (laughs) have. Someone who's dealt with rental property. I put up with it for a long time, but finally we had a conversation, and then I, I served him with the eviction notice, which you have to wait For that process to take place. And so I went back to check on him. And he had left. He had left the building. He had left my home. When I walked in. It wasn't trashed. It was destroyed. Dog feces. Smell of cat urine. And they had blessed me with raw meat. Of course, there was no power. And they, they, they thought of opening the refrigerator and letting that aroma fill the house would be nice. The stench would have knocked you down. So I've got my mouth covered. I'm walking through trash. up to I'm, I'm not lying. Up to here. Some of you probably know what I'm talking about. They even turned the couch over. They'd left everything they had and I can just imagine the guy going out the door for the last time he turned around and was like, (laughs) kick the couch. I mean, why would you do that? Crazy. 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 $10,000 in damage. $10,000. I owned the house. But I gave the keys to the renter giving him the responsibility giving him the stewardship and the control of that house. My house his lease. He could choose to make it into a beautiful home or he could destroy it and that's what he did. He could choose to invite whoever into his home, people that would benefit the home, make it better, or people who would destroy. God trusted Adam and Eve, humanity, with the authority over every living thing. He trusted them to steward his perfect creation. But when sin entered the world because of humanity, Everything changed. Look at the screen. This is a long one. I apologize. When Satan gained influence in the spirit realm, it immediately began to manifest through human behavior in the physical world, escalating into unimaginable atrocities. Have you ever watched the news or studied in, you know about Nazi Germany and what happened in the, the camps or any of those have you ever just studied and thought how could any human do that to another human? When Satan gets influence in a life in the spirit, It begins to manifest in their behavior in the physical, leading, escalating into unimaginable atrocities. The result is the chaos that we see all around us. But if we want to change things, how many want to see some change? How many want to be a part of change? If we want to change things, we can't just focus on that. We can't just focus on the the physical. We must stay focused on the problem. It is a spiritual battle. All right. Are you ready for some good news now as we close? If you're ready for some good news, clap your hands. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Mark chapter 3. This is good. Verse 27 says, let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house or the turf or the territory of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger. Everybody say stronger. Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Listen to me folks. Jesus was born and grew up on Satan's turf. Behind enemy lines. He was tempted and became familiar with every hardship, attack, trial possible, but he overcame. He said in John 16:33, "In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world." Listen. Satan may be the God of this world. He may be powerful with incredible influence, but as followers of Jesus Christ, Paul says, Romans 8, 38, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, nor worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. The word also says that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And that if God be for us, Who can stand against us? There is coming a day. There is coming a day. And I don't think it's that far off. Where Satan will be evicted from this world. And those who are in Christ will rule and reign with him forever and ever. Somebody give God praise if you believe that. Oh, somebody bless him. Somebody bless him in this house. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for victory in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. 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 Lord. Here's the big idea. It's a quote from one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis. He says, enemy occupied territory. That's what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed and is calling on all of us to take part in a great great campaign of sabotage. How many want to be a part of a great campaign to sabotage the works of the enemy? How many want to be a part of a campaign to sabotage, let's bring it home, the works of the enemy in your life, the works of the enemy in your family, the works of the enemy in your workplace, students, the work of the enemy in the the school, come on, how many want to be a part of that kind of campaign? All right, I'm closing, look at me. A decision has to be made just like that 18-year-old boy or girl that stands in the recruiting office and signs on the dotted line that they're going to serve. A decision has to be made. No one will make it for you. It's not going to happen automatically. You can take this or leave this. You can go on like you were or you can sign up. The cool thing is when those soldiers, they or those boys and girls, and they sign up, They don't send them right out into the field. They go through training. They learn how to use their weapons. They learn what they're capable of and what they're not. Look at the screen. The question is not, is there a battle? I think I've proven that to you. It's will you engage in the fight? Would you stand with me? Bow your heads, close your eyes.